0: When was the last time you injured yourself? <laughs> several weeks ago, now actually several years ago, late night talk show host Jimmy Fallon, he seriously injured his ring finger when his wedding band caught the side of a counter after he tripped in his home. And, and it actually sounds worse. It actually is worse than it sounds. You see, his finger almost ripped off his hand. As you can imagine, he was rushed to the emergency room where doctors spent the next six hours in surgery trying to save his finger, which thankfully they did. Fallon then spent the next ten days in the ICU recovering. Recovering. And in addition to watching movies and reality TV, he also read some more deep and philosophical books, which he admitted had a profound impact on him. In fact, in the opening monologue of his first show back, Fallon said that those 10 days in the ICU, it afforded him the opportunity to discover what his real purpose in life was. You know what that was? He said his purpose in life was to be on TV. Listen to what he said. He said, this is the meaning of my life. I belong on television I should be talking to people who are watching, whether they are in an ICU. Wherever you are at home, if anyone is suffering at all, this is my job. I'm here to make you laugh. I'm here to make you have a good time. That's my job. That's why I'm here. What do you think your purpose in life is? Jimmy Fallon believes his purpose is to be on TV making people laugh. That's why he's here, here on planet Earth. But what about you? Now look, I know this is a Really big, broad question, right? What's your purpose? But have you ever given it serious thought? Because it's very freeing to know your purpose, is it not? I mean, have you ever been either at a job or maybe at an event where no one knew really what they're supposed to be doing? But to have a clear purpose... A clear purpose, aim, or goal, that is truly a gift. So what do you think yours is? And are you living it out? This morning, we once again are going to immerse ourselves into the deep and glorious waters of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Last week, we examined verses 4 through 7. The week before, we looked at verses 1 through 3. Today, we're going to give careful attention to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, where the Apostle Paul, I want to argue, he kind of masterfully weaves everything together that he's been saying up until this point in chapter 2. And as we're about to see in these several verses... We also learn the purpose that God has ordained for each and every Christian. And it's my prayer that we would not only know our purpose, but that we would find joy and freedom in living it out. So if you haven't already, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. That's page 976 in that paperback Bible. And follow along with me as I read verses 1 through 10. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, speaking to Christians, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, Of mankind, Paul is saying this is who we once were apart from Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were disobedient, doomed for destruction. And then verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? Why did God in great love save us? Why did he raise us to new life, seat us in the heavenlies with Christ? Verse 7, so that... In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Christian God is saying he has saved us so that for all eternity, we would be the recipients of his kindness and grace. And now verse 8, and this is where we're going to be focusing this morning, Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus For good works, which God had prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Amen and amen. This is God's good, good word. At every major sporting event, no matter what it is, football, hockey, basketball, baseball, at every major sporting event, during downtime, in between plays, TV cameras will often film fans and put them on the jumbotron for everyone to see. You know what I'm talking about? In fact, have you ever been on the jumbotron at a major sporting event? Anyone? Okay. A few people? Okay. Yeah, I see you. see that hand. Okay. What I love about those moments is watching the expression on the person's face when they realize that they're actually on the jumbotron, right? You know what I'm talking about? Most often, it takes the person a little while. That is, they don't immediately realize that what they're looking at is actually themselves. It actually takes them two or three seconds to realize, oh, wait a second. I'm not looking at someone else. I'm looking at me. And once they realize it, what do they often do? They often cheer, get excited, wave, right? Okay. Once it dawns on them that what they're viewing, what they're looking at is themselves, they usually respond with some kind of joy. Well, Christian, when it comes to the jumbotron of God's Word, you know who we are looking at in Ephesians chapter 2? You. That is, if you are here this morning and you are a Christian, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10, this is your story. What we've just read, what we've just seen, it's you. This is your life. And just like the fans on a jumbotron screen, this ought to make you cheer. And you know why? Why? It's not because of you, but it's because what God has done for you. Because, Christian, you know what the headline is to the story of your life? This is true of every Christian. You know what the headline is to the story of your life? It's simply this. God made you spiritually alive in Christ. This is not only the main idea of this passage. Christian, it's the main point of the story of your life. Christian, please hear me, the main character in your story is not you. No, it is God. And as Paul makes clear in verses 4 through 5, it is solely because of God and His great love with which He loved you, even when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, that you've been made alive in Jesus Christ. You see, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, especially verses 8 through 10, it is not primarily an evangelistic text. That is, this passage doesn't necessarily tell a lost person how to become a Christian. Rather, it was written to tell the believer how God saved him or her. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, it's the Christian's biography. Faith, this is your story. And what Paul does in these final two verses in 8 and 10 of chapter 2 is he highlights two actions of God's grace in the life of the believer. And what we find in these verses is true of each and every Christian. And there are just two that I want to direct your attention to this morning. And the first is this. I want you to notice... That based on God's grace, by God's grace, Christian, you've been first gifted with salvation. You've been gifted with salvation. Look again at verses 8 and 9. So Paul describes our current condition, doomed, dead in our trespasses and sins, disobedient, but God made us alive in Christ Jesus. We're seated with him in the heavenlies. We're going to be the recipients of, of His kindness and grace for all eternity. And then he says this in verse 8, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. By grace, Christian, you've been gifted with salvation. You know, with a Christmas just around the corner, my, my email inbox is getting, is getting flooded with promotions from retailers. Anyone else starting to get some of that? The other day, I received an email from a retailer that had this as the subject line. It said this, Shop this week... And earn a free gift. <laughs> Sale today. Shop this week, and earn a free gift. <laughs> earn a free gift. You don't have to tell them to say that, loud, but tell me. Think. What makes a gift? A gift. Yeah? What makes a gift a gift is that you contribute nothing to it, right? It all comes from the giver. If you contribute to it, it's no longer a gift, it's something you have earned. Notice the word this in verse 8. Paul writes, By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your doing. It is the gift of God. Now, as students of the Bible, we must, must ask, What does the this Refer to. That is, what precisely is not from us, but a gift from God? Is it faith? Is it grace? Or is it something else? In in the Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, Pronouns agree in gender with the nouns to which they, prefer, they refer. However, the pronoun this in verse 8 in Greek is neuter, while the nouns faith and grace are both feminine in gender. Now, the Apostle Paul was no slouch when it came to Greek grammar. Now he was a very brilliant man. So why did he construct this sentence that way? You know why? Simply to communicate that the this refers to the entire clause of verse 8. That is, he's making a clear statement that both the grace and the faith we receive that result in salvation are not of our own doing, but are gifts from God. Faith, we should never think of salvation as a transaction in which God provides the grace and we provide the faith. No, the grammar of this verse makes it very clear it's all a gift from Him. Both the grace and the faith are gifts from our great God. We were dead and had to be awakened to believe. And this this isn't the only place we see this taught. For example, in Acts 18.27, Luke writes this about Apollos. He says, And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, He greatly helped those who through grace had believed. Both salvation, excuse me, because salvation is a divine gift, it cannot be earned. Both grace and faith are gifts from God. It is not of your own doing. This is why every Sunday when the children are brought up here and we pray for them, we pray, God, would you grant them the gift of repentance and faith. We just didn't make that up. (laughs) We're getting that from Scripture. The Christian who has the faith to believe believes because it's a gift from God. We are saved by grace through faith. And grace, as we learned last week, is best understood as God's favor lavished on those who deserve His wrath. I mean, verses 1 through 3 make this abundantly clear, do it? Not in chapter 2. Well, what then is saving faith? Right? It's a gift. Well, if there's ever a phrase that needs biblical definition today, it's this one. So what are the marks of saving faith, and how do you know if you have it? In Scripture, saving faith has three aspects to it. If you're the note-taking type, Think of it as three C's. There's content. Saving faith has content. You must understand the message of the gospel. There's conviction. You must affirm that it's true. And then there's commitment. Commit to Jesus, and to follow Him. If one has not done all three, one has not believed. For example, you may say, I believe that chair will hold me. But until you commit yourself and sit down, you have not believed. Thus, it is far better to express the idea of non commitment as unbelief rather than head or heart knowledge. And this is really important in counseling. I have counseled scores of people who know the gospel, who believe the gospel but live like the devil. They they say they believe Jesus, but there is no commitment to their faith. I believe Jesus. I believe He died on the cross. I believe He rose from the dead. I believe He's coming back. I believe it's true. But they live their life right here. When you look at their faith, there's no commitment. They're not sitting, putting all their weight and trust in Christ and following Him. They say they believe Jesus, but there's no commitment to that faith. Friend, is that true of you? As Paul makes clear, salvation is a gift given by God. And as the immediate context makes clear, this gift is given to those, chapter 1 makes clear, he is predestined before the foundation of the world. And what I want you to see and what is often overlooked is that there is a divine intention behind this gift. Do you know this? There's... God gives this gift with an intention that it's going to do something in the heart and the life of the believer. You know what that is? It's that we would be humble. Because look at what Paul says. As Paul says, salvation is not by works so that no one would what? What does it say? Boast. Look, if I shop at that retail store, I can boast that I earned the free gift. Not so with salvation. According to the Bible, the only thing we have ever earned from God is His just wrath for our sin. That's the only thing we've earned, and that's the only thing God owes us. As Romans six twenty three states, for the wages of sin is death. Christian, the only thing we've earned, the only thing God owes us is judgment for our sin. can I ask, do you believe that? I would venture to say that in our moments of great disappointment, we don't believe that. Because if I really believed that according to Scripture, what I am owed from God is is judgment for my sin, that's going to dispel the notion that I think that God owes me a spouse who loves me. Or I think that God owes me the lifestyle and job that I've always hoped for. Or that God owes me believing children, or God owes me a house, or God owes me the kind of relationships that I've always longed for. Christian, based on the authority of God's word, God does not owe us any of these things. He does not owe us a life of ease. He does not owe us a pain-free life. No, Christian, the only thing God truly owes you is judgment for your sin. Yet praise the Lord, that's not what He's given you in Christ. Amen? We who were dead in our trespasses and sins, disobedient and doomed for destruction, God has made us alive in Christ. We've been raised with Christ, seated with Christ, and will be eternally blessed by Christ. And not only that, we've been given the Holy Spirit who not only empowers us to live faithful Christian lives, but also assures us of our future inheritance. Christian, is the journey to the celestial city marked with trials and tribulations? Yes! Yes! But we find comfort knowing that our God is at hand. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He's doing all things for our good and His glory. And one day, we will be with our Savior face to face where we will be the recipients of His unending kindness. Amen? Amen? Although we are owed judgment, we've received grace. And Christian, when you work that truth deep into the core of your being, gratitude will start to take root and it will soon bear the fruit of humility. When I understand that I'm owed judgment but I've been shown grace, no longer will I be easily offended. No longer will I feel entitled. No longer will I view myself as a victim and all these people around me are just obstacles that are preventing me from living the life that I want to live. I'm a victim. No, instead you'll view all of life for what it is, a gift. And you'll praise Him for that. Christian, you've been gifted with salvation. Look at what it says again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, that this refers to, the faith and the grace, is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So that, to put it another way, so that you would be humble and joyful as you see of all of the good things that God has given you, chiefly salvation in Jesus Christ. That's number one. Number two, and there's only two points, you're welcome. By grace, you've also been created for good works. Good works are not the root of salvation, but they are the fruit. Look at now at verse 10. It says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, here's our purpose. Which God prepared beforehand that we should what? What does he say? What's the verb? Walk in them. Walk in them. I recently read about a shoplifter. A shoplifter wrote to a department store saying, I've just become a Christian and I can't sleep at night because I feel guilty. So here's the $100 that I owe you. He signed his name and added, P.S., if I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. When Paul speaks that we've been created for good works, this is not what he has in mind. We don't do good works to get some kind of relief or even some kind of partial good weeks. No, we do good works because that's what we've been saved to do. Yesterday, I I did some shopping at Goodwill. Yes, I shop at Goodwill. And when I walked into the store, there was this phrase that caught my attention, printed in really large letters on the floor when you walk in, and here was the phrase. As you walked in there, the phrase said, purchase with a purpose. It was a slogan, purchase with a purpose. And Christian, that's precisely what God has done with you. He purchased you. In Christ Jesus, God redeemed you, as Paul wrote in chapter 1, verse 7. And he did so for a purpose, and that is that you and me, everyone who's a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, would do good works. In Christ, you've been created to this end. And this isn't the only place we see this thought. thought. Consider what Paul writes in Titus 2.14. Referring to Jesus, that's the who, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are what? Zealous for good works. Then a couple verses later in Titus 3, 8, he says this, in fact, let's say this together, ready? This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. That's you. That's me. Every person who has put their trust in God, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're to be careful to devote ourselves to good works. Something Something you're devoted to is not something you're just going to eventually get to. My wife has been wanting me to trim the hedges for three weeks. And I tell her, sweetheart, I love you. I'm devoted to trimming those hedges. Am I? No. Okay. We are to be devoted. It's to be a priority. It's to be at the top of our to-do list. Right? We've been redeemed for good works. Christian, Jimmy Fallon believes his purpose in life is to be on television. Christian, on the authority of God's word, your purpose is to do good works for God's glory, not your own. That is, your actions ought to bring glory to God and not yourself. Just as God has predestined you to be adopted as his sons and daughters before the foundation of the world, so too he has ordained that you would walk in good works, all to the praise of his great grace. And what I want to do is take a moment to see the big picture of What Paul is writing in this passage, verses one through ten, it's really brilliant. Notice the transformation that has taken place in your life, Christian. This is your story, and it's all because of God. You've gone from being dead to sin to now alive with Christ. You once were a child of wrath, and now you're the recipients of mercy. You were doomed for destruction; now you're God's workmanship. You were following Satan, now you're seated with Christ. And you once were walking in sin, now you're to walk in good deeds. And especially the walking, that's how this section is framed. Paul begins that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, walking in them, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with him in Christ. And now he concludes the very last line in verse 10, so that we would now walk instead in good works. All this because of God's great love towards us. Amen? Christian, God saved you so that you might walk in good works. Are you fulfilling that purpose? So so what's a good work? Right? Well, I want to just suggest that Paul is going to make this abundantly clear in chapter 4, 5, and 6. In fact, it's going to be really important that when we look at these commands that he gives us in chapters 4, 5, and 6 that we do not forget this. Salvation is a gift. We aren't saved by our good works, but we are saved unto good works. But what is a good work? Well, one good work I would submit to you to consider is trusting the Lord. That is, you trust that his word is true and that he is faithful to his promises. As we're memorizing this month, blesses the man whose trust is the Lord, who trusts in the Lord. A good work would be counting others more significant than yourself. A good work would be forgiving those who sin against you. Be clothing yourself in humility. A good work would be exercising gentleness, patience in bearing with one another in love. I mean, we we talk about this frequently, but you could say we could, all the good works should be summed under this one notion of, a good work is I'm living for Jesus rather than myself. And can I ask, is there any good work that you are either neglecting or willfully refusing to do that the Holy Spirit right now is convicting you of? Is God's Spirit at work right now in your heart, Christian, and He is bringing to mind something that you either been negligent of or you're willfully refusing to do. Don't dismiss this prompting of God's Spirit. If, if the Spirit is at work in your heart right now, Christian, repent of that sin. Confess your rebellion to the Lord. Receive his forgiveness and by God's grace intentionally do that good work. Not to earn salvation, but because you have it by grace. In fact, if I could just build off this by way of application, I I, want to challenge you to do something. I want to invite you to consider two good works that you could be intentional in doing this week. You know, I, I, I can say... Do good works. (laughs) And just, sure. (laughs) And we just leave it in the abstract. Right? No. think about what are two specific things that you could be doing this week? And I'd invite you, when you meet in your community group, say, here are the two things that the Lord pressed upon my heart. Would you pray for me that I'd be faithful to do it? Faith, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is your story you are looking at yourself on the jumbotron of God's Word. And may God's work of making you alive in Christ lift your voice to sing, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. For truly, we can say of Ephesians 2, This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Amen? Let's pray.